You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Fair Game podcast. Today's guest was named CEO of his fair during the pandemic. He's got a great story to share. He joins us today from Washington State, where he is the CEO of the Northwest Washington Fair. Chris Pickering, welcome to the show, buddy. Thank you, Robert. Now, Chris, you were named CEO in the middle of a pandemic. Talk about being an expert on good timing, right? Absolutely. Had plenty of people saying, why are you signing a contract right now? <laughs> yeah. And in in, how did that come to be in the middle of all of it that your predecessor bowed out and in the middle of a pandemic, here you're the new CEO? So uh, actually the board and the uh, previous manager had excellent foresight and knew that he was looking to retire after 17 years of running the fair. And so they recruited me uh, a couple of years back to be the assistant manager with the anticipation that I would take over for him when he eventually did retire. That was supposed to take place this past September following our 2020 fair. But once uh, we canceled our fair, it didn't make sense to have two managers on payroll essentially. So he stepped down and let me take over the, the day-to-day operations. So he took it for the team instead of, of taking that, that last, you know, seven months or so of pay, he just said, we're going to do what's right and preserve our financial situation. Absolutely. Good man. And, and who was that? Who was your Baron? Jim Baron. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I ever had the, uh, the pleasure of meeting him, but he sounds like if he's willing to do that for a fair, that's a good guy right there. That's definitely somebody you want in your, your corner. So listen, for our nine listeners, would you uh, give a little background on how you came to be involved in the fair industry? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in the fair industry. My dad was the deputy manager at the OC fair when I was a child. Um, then we moved up to Pleasanton, where he was the CEO at the Alameda County Fair. And he's currently at the California State Fair. So, you know, you'd like to say that I never had a choice, but I chose to run away from the fair industry after my first internship. <laughs> and I, uh, went and joined the army for six years. But uh, coming back off of that, uh, really realized how much I enjoyed the fair industry. Uh, in my first Institute of Fair Management class, and they referred to a Himalaya style ride. And I realized everybody in the room knew what that meant. And that hadn't really happened in my life before. So I knew I was among friends. Um, so I spent three years working with the Western Fairs Association as their communications director. And then I graduated from the Institute of Fair Management at IAFE and was tapped by Jim Barron to come be the assistant manager and heir apparent at the Northwest Washington Fair. So we made it through one fair where our vendor coordinator quit two weeks before fair. So I got to do all of that. Wow. (laughs) Uh, I've worked a churro and gelato booth for five weeks at the LA County Fair. Um, So I've seen different sides of the industry. Uh, I have a great appreciation for the work that everyone puts into it. And uh, really look forward to getting back into the swing of things. Well, this is clearly not an industry that any of us get into with the goal of making millions upon millions of dollars and being rich and famous. This is a passion-driven industry for sure. What's the thing at your fair that drives you and fills you up and makes this, you know, makes all the hard work worth it? You know, someone's going to smile. Sometime soon, we're going to have a fair and someone's going to smile for all the hard work we put in. They're going to have a memory. I mean, we are part of everyone's story, whether they got married at the fairgrounds, had their quinceanera there. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's woven into the fabric of people's lives and people love the fair. And so to be able to be the caretaker of that and provide the best experience possible 
to make it so they don't even worry about all those little details. I was talking to Cliff Munson when I visited him at the Siskiyou Golden Fair, and he was going over all the issues he was having. I said, yeah, but Cliff, none of these people know about those fires, which means you're doing a good job. <laughs> for sure, for sure. Now, if you had a new family move in up, uh, up your way, and where, remind me where in Washington you guys are? So we're in Linden, Washington. We're in the far, far Northwest, about three miles South of Canada. Three miles South of Canada, man, that's a long ways up there. You know, my, uh, my little league coach, my best man at my wedding, his dad was my little league coach and he and his wife retired up on the North. They're probably pretty close to you. They're like, I think they said 17 miles from Canada on the, on the Idaho side. So they're oh, right yeah. up. Right up there, not far from you guys, but man, three miles from Canada. You ever go across the border? I mean, is there anything fun to do across the border there? Well, we used to. <laughs> the border's <laughs> closed right now. <laughs> when we used to be allowed to do that. Absolutely. Uh, we would drive up to Vancouver for lunch. It's only 40 minutes away. Uh, it's closer to us than Seattle. You know, Seattle's two hours south. Um, we're, we're past the signs that tell you the wait times at the border. Wow. So like you can just look out your window and be like, there's that's that's the border right there and oh yeah a, you, you can see the mountains that are that's canada those trees those are canada that's really cool i haven't you know i did the pew i call it puyallup fair still i did washington state fair when it was still the puyallup um back in 2010 and thought about seeing if i could make a run up to canada and and didn't at that point but to be that close, that's got to be kind of cool to just be like, yeah, we're going to go have lunch in Vancouver. Is it difficult on a normal year, right? In normal circumstances, is it difficult to get across the border? Or do you, are you showing a passport? What do you got to do? Uh, yeah, you have to show your passport. Um, but uh, it, it's interesting the questions they ask you, like, have you fired a handgun recently? Do you have any handguns in your vehicle? <laughs> it's like, okay, no, I'm just going for lunch. <laughs> they ask you where you're going, how long you're going to be staying. Uh, and then when you come back, they ask you what you did. Uh, we went and saw a uh, concert just across the border in Abbotsford, which is 20 minutes away. Right. Um, and uh, when we came back, we uh, they asked us where we'd gone. And we said, oh, we just got out from that concert, Brad Paisley. And uh, the guy's like calling over to his other guy, like, hey, we're about to get busy. <laughs> yeah, because they know all the people are going to be coming south. Yeah. Wow. So they ask you if you, I could see if they ask you if you have anything illegal in the vehicle, firearms, anything, but they ask you if you fired a handgun recently. Yeah. It was what, really weird. Do you know what the rationale is behind that? I don't know. Like what happens if you're like, yeah, I was at the range yesterday. And <laughs> what are we going to do about that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I get it. If you have a, a firearm in your vehicle, you can't take it into Canada, but I don't know. That just seems an odd question, but it's one of these they ask you odd questions to try to throw you off. Oh, interesting. Kind of, kind of, uh, see if they can trip you up. And if you're lying about something, I guess they, mm -hmm. I guess they take their border protection seriously. So I, uh, used to date a girl in uh, Victoria and I met her in Australia. So I went up to visit her once. And when I arrived and they asked if I had anything to declare, I said, no. And they said, you haven't seen your girlfriend in a month and you didn't bring her a present. And I just stood there blankly. <laughs> I was like, oops. <laughs> You're all, yeah. What do you want me to say? Here's my passport. Could you stamp it, please? <laughs> now I'm in trouble. Thanks. Yes. Now I'm, now I'm busted. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So back to, uh, back to fair stuff. If you had a new family come to your fair, if they were to call you up and say, Chris, we're new to the area, what would you tell them a day at your fair should look like? 
Well, I tell them that a day is not enough. Uh, we're really looking to include so much in your gate admission included ticket that you can't do it all in one day, which is why this year we're going to be offering a season pass for $35. So it's just over the price of two days gate admission, and that'll get you in all 10 days of there. Hmm. So, you know, you can go and see the canine stars stunt dog show, uh, visit the wildlife of the world exhibit from Pacific Animal Productions, of course, walk the barns. We have an amazing draft horse show where they'll actually do an eight horse hitch if you've ever seen one. It's really incredible to see. And then they'll also do just the regular six horse hitches and then they'll turn loose six of them in our arena and they'll do figure eights. That's cool. That's really cool. Now you mentioned all of that and yet you didn't go to anything with food. Is there a food that you're, that's like a must have at your fair? So I got myself in a little bit of trouble because I ran a uh, battle of the fair foods competition last year before I had gone through a fair at this fair. And it was a Facebook one where you ranked, you know, if corn dog was going to beat out cotton candy and I went all the way through and whoever had a winning bracket went into a drawing to get uh, free tickets to the fair. And we had a bunch of people sign up for it. And I had the dairy women very mad at me that I didn't include their moo witches. They have a registered trademark on moo witch, which is a chocolate chip cookie with vanilla ice cream in the middle. Okay. <laughs> so I, I quick backpedaled and said, oh, that's because I knew it was going to win by a landslide. So it wasn't fair to the other. <laughs> <laughs> I can't have you. You're a ringer. You're a ringer yeah. in this contest. Exactly. Uh, the other thing is we're a traditionally Dutch community. And so we have poppergies, which are these little tiny puff pastry balls. And they have like a cream sauce that they put them with. And the line will be half an hour long from open to close every day of fair. Wow, man. I love fair food. I don't know about you. I got to limit myself though. I mean, I, you, you guys on the fair side, you know, you work your fair, maybe you go volunteer at, you know, a, a friend's fair or something nearby, but for us in entertainment doing fairs all throughout the year, we can get in real trouble if we're eating at the fair all the time. So I give my one myself one meal to eat at each fair. And I'm usually, uh, you know, like if I'm in Florida, it's typically a slice of pizza from spaghetti Eddie's. And then I chase it with the funnel cake with uh, from Jeff and Kathy Ross's booth. Um, you go all out. But, but that's it. That's the one. I'll do it one time. That the end. And then everything else. I'm eating salads and healthy. You know, outside the fair the rest of the week. What went for you personally? What's your vice on fair food? What's the thing that when you have when fair opens, you're like, that's what I'm getting. So my last year at the Western Fairs Association, I went to 29 fairs. And so I ran into that same issue of I can't eat everywhere. But right. Wherever I found grinders, the sandwiches, mm. if you find them at like California State Fair, they have the best sandwiches. They have one called the Angry Chicken. It's like chicken tender with pastrami and mustard and jalapenos. Mm. And, you know, it's just something so wild and out there that you would never have it outside of a fair food event. Yes. It, it, it's my kryptonite. <laughs> yes, I get it. I get it. But like a good sandwich like that. Um, yeah, you know, when you think of fair food, you always think of like your turkey leg and like your, you know, your cheeseburger that's in a Krispy Kreme donut instead of a bun and all those kind of outlandish things. But grinders is decent. Yeah. When they've got something unique that you don't get anywhere else, you got to give it a shot. So let's look back at 2020, your name CEO, um, right in the middle of this, it was it May you it were, May. and you were an assistant manager before that, right? Yes. So 
take me back to March of 2020 before you're, I guess you're assistant manager at that point. March 2020 rolls around, the country just starts to derail, you know, Houston cancels, everything just, the wheels fall off the bus. What are you thinking at that point? Well, we were thinking we were going to have a fair. We were fully convinced we were going to have a fair through April, and we were one of the first fairs in Washington to announce our cancellation. But that was because as soon as we made the decision to cancel, we wanted to get it out. We took one day to call all of our sponsors and business partners and let them know directly, uh, all of our entertainers, um, which some of them were, hey, it's a little early, don't you think? <laughs> but um, we knew that everybody put so much into putting the fair on, whether it's raising an animal or buying your uh, you know, stock if you're a commercial vendor, and just to be able to let them know, hey, this is not going to happen. Uh, our health department came out in April and just put out a press release saying that all events were canceled through September. And we were in mid-August and we took offense to that because they didn't come talk to us. <laughs> but uh, when we talked to them, it really became clear that th this was something bigger than we were really giving it credit for. Um, and so we ultimately made the decision pretty early on in the process and uh, canceled the fair, but we were able to do a virtual fair uh, which was a, a lot of fun and a great success. So what, at what point did you guys officially cancel? So we canceled the first week of May. First week of May. Okay. Um, and when that happened, you said, you know, the governor's office already come out and said nothing through September. Was that decision more on you guys or was it the governor's decision when you finally canceled? Who was really the oh. one that pulled the plug on it? It wasn't the governor. It was our county health department. Oh, county health. Us, Got it. Had us really worked up because the rest of the state wasn't doing anything like that. Okay. Uh, our neighboring county to the south wasn't doing anything like that. Uh, so we're like, why are we? And she had stepped into the role after COVID started, just in March. So we didn't have a relationship with her. We hadn't known her ahead of time. Um, but uh, no, it, it was our decision to pull the plug. But we, we, of course, deferred to the health department because we need that relationship going forward for any future events. Of course. What are you kind of emotionally, what are you feeling? What are you and your, your team feeling when, you know, you wake up the next day and you realize it's done. Everything we've been working to build is not going to happen. Tears were shed. Um, the more the days went on, the more certain we were in our decision, though, um, I remember I had a, a Zoom call with uh, then manager Jim Baring about two days before we canceled the fair. Uh, and I came out of that because about the day before, I would have told you we had an 80% chance of fair. And then I had that phone call and I came out and told my girlfriend, I'm just, we're not going to have a fair. There's just no way. Because um, we were thinking, you know, okay, so if we have to do 50% capacity in concerts, we're not going to make our money. And if the carnival can't, turn enough people they're not going to want to come so it, it all just the pieces fell apart so it, it was definitely devastating for the team uh and you know it's gotten worse and worse and worse as they continue to roll us backwards uh we were really proud that we were able to hang on to our whole staff up until november and yeah. then the governor moved us backwards to shut down again and so unfortunately we did lose uh 30 of our staff um so far but um, it, it, it's been a real uh, morale killer. Definitely. I know when I spoke with Jessica Underberg, she talked about the, you know, the heartbreak of having to lay people off and, and furlough people that this isn't, 
we're not an industry where it's just employees. You know, we're all friends and family working together in this industry and to have to cut people loose is very difficult. Do you see an opportunity if you guys are able to reopen later in the year that you'll be able to hire those people back or are they moving on to other things? Well, that's one of the reasons we we made the layoffs permanent was because we wanted them to be able to find something in the meantime because they'd already been on temporary layoff for six months. Sure. And then we brought them back for a couple of weeks and then the governor shut us down again. So uh, at that point it was, you know, it's sad, but you got to say, hey, you got to go find something else because we don't know when we're going to be able to do anything again. Sure. And as it's rolling out, you know, we, there is no phase three anymore in Washington. There's phase one and phase two where you get to go up from 10 people to 15. Ooh. So <laughs> there's, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Fancy. Fancy. Yeah. That's, um, it's a really difficult spot to be in. And you just hope that, you know, all our, all of the people that we worked with, you know, friends and family within the industry, they understand. And hopefully there's a day where we can all connect again and, and work together again. Um, it may be 18 to 36 months from now, who knows, but it's been a real challenging time. I know that for fairs that were scheduled in March and April, they had already spent marketing dollars. Like if you consider uh, what was going on down in Florida, Miami got shut down like 15 minutes ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Vero beach was like an hour. Houston was already in progress three or four days into their show. And they all get all those dollars, all marketing, all that's already spent. Given that you guys canceled and you did, were you guys able to then reallocate marketing spend and things like that to be able to go elsewhere in your budget? So yes and no. Uh, what was tragic is it was the most prepared for a fair we'd ever been. We were early in a lot of things. We had just ordered our posters and our print materials. Mm-hmm. Um, and I picked those up after the pandemic started, but we had ordered them before it <laughs> <laughs> it was just devastating to pick those up and realize we had no use for any of them. Um, but yeah, a lot of it we had not used. We had gone on sale with three of our con- with the three concerts that we were doing. Um, we offered refunds to everyone, and our ticketing company at the time did not offer us any of the money back. So we reimbursed the ticketing fees directly to the customers. Who were the three concerts you were going to bring in? Nelly, Darcy Lynn Farmer from America's Got Talent, the ventriloquist. Right. Uh, And we were doing something new this year called Party in the Dirt. So our stage is unique in that it's on wheels. So we roll it back to do arena events and we roll it forward to do our concerts. So what we were going to do with Party in the Dirt is roll the stage back and have it just be a completely general admission event where people could be up in the grandstands or down in the dirt dancing close to the stage. And then we carve off half of the front area for VIP and we have a beer garden in the arena. Uh, and then it would be an all day music festival. So instead of just coming for a show at seven o'clock, we're getting people in for a show starting at three and running till 930. Hmm. And then we do half hour breaks between each show so that they would uh, go out and get some fair food or go ride some rides or look around or something. Right. So we had for that Eli Young Band, Kanan Smith, Parmalee, and Tennille Towns, and Jamie O'Neill. Wow. And all that goes away. All, well, all of that ended up rolling over. Okay. So So you're still hoping to be able to crossing fingers this year or are we? Absolutely this year. Yeah. Okay. We're, my gut feeling is with the vaccine starting to roll out, assuming it's effective. 
I was talking to, I think it was Josh Woods from the fair down in Mobile. My gut feeling, and he kind of agreed, is that somewhere around June or July, we may start to pull that needle back in our favor and start to get some events off. So I'm really hopeful for you guys. Um, anyhow, you guys, you cancel and you have to start, you know, rolling some of that over. Instantly, though, the cancellations for so many of us caused millions of dollars of losses across the industry. And then those losses started piling up more and more and more. What are some of the challenges you've faced since you've canceled? Uh, you know, we all know how to make a fair. It's what we've been doing. Uh, no one knew how to unmake a fair. And so it was making sure all those details were taken care of. We had to have a lot of meetings with the 4-H leaders and FFA leaders who felt betrayed that we had canceled the fair so early. You know, think of the kids. We're like, well, we are. That's why we're canceling it now and not the day before. Right. Um, you know, and, and then going for, <laughs> for us, we decided uh, we're going to come back bigger and better than ever. So we're moving from six days to 10 days. Uh, and then having those same meetings with the 4-H and FFA leaders explaining what that looks like. You know, you don't have to be there all 10 days. It's a split livestock show. This should be easier for everybody, a little bit less intense. Um, and, you know, so controlling the rumor mill when we were canceling. That's a challenge. And controlling the rumor mill when we were expanding dates is, is an ongoing challenge. Um you know, I, I, I joke when I hear rumors come from the community, it's like, you can pick up the phone and just call me. I'll tell you what's going on. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, we can't keep talking 2020 forever. You got to have some approach to planning moving forward. You said you've already expanded out to 10 days and you're in contact with the, you know, the 4-H and FFA folks. What is your approach to planning? Because you're still in the middle of a pandemic. There's only so much that you can do. And if you've laid off 30% of your staff, they're there's some challenges that are presented in planning moving forward. So what does that look like for you? How do you plan a fair when you're still in a pandemic? Uh, what I've been doing is listening to both the industry talk as well as to politicians. And I'm hearing exactly what you were saying. The April to June timeframe is when things are really going to turn around quickly. Uh, and we're in August. So it gives us a couple months of cushion. So I think we're going to be good to go full steam ahead. Um, you know, we're already serving as a COVID testing site. I could see that turning to a vaccination site real soon. I was having the thought just this morning of giving the health department free boosts for tests that are not for tests, but for, for vaccinations. Um, you know, just, I love tying in those community elements of you go to the fair and you can reach these resources that sometimes otherwise aren't available to you. Right. So it, it, it's definitely a little bit of hope and a prayer planning for 2021 to be a full fair, but uh, it's always easier to scale it back as we get closer than if we didn't plan ahead of time. Well, and you mentioned planning ahead of time. I think one of the uh, analogies that was, was really well put was when Jerry Hammer had to cancel in Minnesota. And he, he used the analogy of an airplane trying to get off the runway. Obviously a 747 needs a whole lot of runway to get in the air. A small Cessna doesn't. Where are you guys at on that runway? How close can you get to the fair before you got you have to make a decision? So we don't have a drop dead date, uh, but we are looking at that May timeframe again to see where we're at. And we know we'll be in a better spot. It's not evolving as quickly as it used to, where it was every couple hours we were changing what was what we could do, what we couldn't do. Right. Um, you know, I remember those days just refreshing every news source I could find to update our website. 
uh, and say, okay, now we can't do events through June. Now we can't do events through July because it's not just the fair itself. It's all the interim event rentals as well. Um, and, and, you know, we, we're starting to have some of that come back uh, with our equine events and dog shows uh, because they fall under agricultural exemption. So we're doing sure. what we can, um, but preparing in the meantime, you know, we did a drive-through zoo last September and it was super successful. So we're doing it again in May. Um, and whether or not we're allowed to get people together, that's something we can do. Uh, we're considering becoming a drive-in theater this spring. The only theater within a two hour drive shut down. So <laughs> uh, take advantage know, the then. We've got the space and we've uh, got the information. Uh, I took it to the board in November and they uh, wisely said, it's just too cold and inclement over the winter season. Let's revisit that in the spring, but they're all still very excited about it. So I think it could be something that we could use even in future years. So you guys definitely get uh, weather limited over the winter. Unlike if you were an event in, you know, in the South in Texas or Florida or whatnot, where you can still try to pull some events off. You guys get much snow up there where you're at? So they told me no, but I moved up here in the middle of a snowstorm in February. <laughs> of course, that like, would happen the like that. A snowstorm where Amazon wouldn't deliver for a week. <laughs> wow. I didn't well, know it was possible. We, we don't get snow. Never mind that 17 inches of white stuff that's outside your door right now. Exactly. I, that's crazy. So they had to cancel the rodeo that they had booked, or they didn't cancel it. They moved it back a day because uh, we had lost power in the building. Um, they said it was a freak snowstorm, but then it snowed last year too. And it's already snowed this year. So <laughs> we get some snow, not a lot, but, but some snow. Yeah. You know, I was talking to Marla, speaking of your, you know, your non-fair, um, events. When I spoke with Marla, I didn't realize just how many fairs, the majority of their income actually comes from non-fair rentals. Where does that line up with you guys? Uh, do you get, you draw more revenue off your non-fair or from the fair? Definitely more from the fair still. Okay. Uh, and in my conversation, when I was interviewing for this position, uh, talking to Jim Barron, he was saying, you know, when he came on, he wanted to diversify us more and have us get more of our revenue from non-fair events than from fair. So we're not dependent on those six days of no rain, right? Right. Um, and what he said is in the end, it all grew. So it's the same percentage as when he started there, where it's, you know, maybe uh, 15 to a quarter. 15% to a quarter of what we do is uh, non-fair event rentals. Uh, but the lion's share is still the fair itself. Got it. Well, and hopefully, you know, we can get past this pandemic and you can get an opportunity to test that out and see, you know, how to get more events in and, and draw more non-fair revenue. It's not going to work real well while we're still sitting in a pandemic. I mean, everybody's kind of playing wait and see. I mean, I know for me, a number of my cancellations from last year who said they're just going to roll the contract over to, to 21. Um, now we're hearing that the, the contracts for 21 may not be issued until like 60 to 90 days out because there is so much uncertainty. Are you all rebooking right away or are you kind of playing wait and see? We rebooked and we added. Um, okay. But we added into each of the contracts uh, a COVID clause, essentially, as if we're not allowed to have a fair that we wouldn't be held to the entertainment contract. Um, but one of the things we're doing uh, that I think is really important is we're adding in a $50,000 free kids play area. So we're going with Super Science Company and putting up two of their exhibits and then doing a stage 
with a ventriloquist. So in case you can't afford to go see Darcy Lynn, you can still see a ventriloquist with your gate admission uh, cool. and a science show too. Well, and I know that's um, Tammy Ryan stuff, right? With Super yeah. Science. She does a great job. Yeah, having seen her set up once or twice, she does a fantastic job. I'm sure the kids are going to love it. Looking at your fair though, what kind of mitigation strategies are you guys putting into play for 21? Yeah, absolutely. So first, uh, we're actually pursuing our Global Bio-Risk Advisory Council STAR certification, which is just an industry-wide health and cleaning standard. So they review all of our cleaning policies, provide some training on that. And then uh, once we're reviewed, we'll hopefully get that star of approval that we can then put on our website and just have people feel more comfortable coming in because that's going to be our biggest hurdle is getting people in the gate. We know we're throwing a great party, but we got to tell people it's safe and it's affordable. So we're going to get, get them to come in. Um, we're also actually moving all of our food and beverage to a cashless RFID system. So we're using Sapphire's Glass Pass which you can do either a wristband or a card and use that to pay uh, at the food vendors. And that way uh, we're reducing a touch point, particularly as people are about to put their hands to their mouth. Right. Especially when it's cash. Cause that's dirty. That is exactly. some nasty stuff. Yeah. And you know, I guess we can be thankful for Disney for that because when years ago when they started those magic bands and like always people said, Oh, that's, that's not going to work Disney. And, you know, they said the same thing about the fast pass. And now we've got carnival operators that have a fast pass system. So um, those little RFID chips are, are pretty helpful. And if it prevents um, transmission to disease and helps us, if that's, I mean, if that's the price we got to pay to be having events, let's do it. I'm all in. Absolutely. And that's where we're approaching is from a health and safety standpoint. Um, I too got the idea six or I guess longer ago now uh, when I went to Disney world and used the magic band and just one, receiving it a couple weeks in advance was a tremendous occasion and something we shared on Facebook. Um, and then when you're there, it's so convenient that it's your hotel room key, it's your credit card, it's your fast pass that books your lunches. Um, one thing I can see in the future, we don't have it set up for commercial vendors this year, but if you can buy it with your wristband, what I loved is I got back to my hotel room and my package was waiting for me. So we can set a uh, an actual pickup spot off the fairgrounds so that people, because everybody's biggest objection to buying something in the fair is they don't want to carry it around. Sure. So what if you just scan your wristband to buy it? Then when you leave at the end of the night, you scan your wristband to pick it up. You've already got your car and right to you. Yep. No, I think it's fantastic. The technology that I've seen Disney develop over the years especially having been a cast member back in 2000. That's, you know, where Sarah and I met working on the college program, seeing their technology they've developed. I knew when in 2000, when I saw the fast pass, I said to, my, said to myself, it's only a matter of time before this is at every event you ever go to. And then when I came into the fair industry in 2005, six, seven, it wasn't quite there. And I'm like, they need to fast pass it. And sure enough, within a year or so, it was mainstreaming. Same thing. As soon as I saw those magic bands, I thought fair industry needs to get on that. And it's just a matter of making, I think it's just a time. Disney obviously has the dollars, you know, we're universal. They have the dollars right away to implement that strategy. The longer that technology is out, the more affordable it gets. And then you have smaller fares, you know, that can jump on board and go for it. And I think it in the long run probably benefits everybody. You talked about when you get your, your magic bands from Disney, it's kind of a cool experience. Are you all mailing those out ahead of time for your fair or they pick it up at the fair? 
we're not going to mail them out ahead of time. Um, what I ultimately want to do is do like the LA County Fair did where they send out the boxes and it's got like a fair pin and maybe play some music or something, but create some fanfare and its own social media thing. Right. Um, we're not there yet. Um, this year we'll be opening the office uh, a week early so that we can get, provide people with their wristbands because they can lo- load them up uh, online ahead of time. We right. call it skip the line, come before fair. Because um, we're really trying to drive that customer experience where we don't want to take it. Yes, there's less lines at the food vendors, but now you have to go in a line to get your wristband first. We don't want you just waiting in a line to get in the fair. Why are we doing it again here? Exactly. Uh, so trying to smooth out that process. And for the finance side, um, you know, a lot of um, a lot of the events we spoke to had passed along a $2 per ticket fee um, to their customers. And we just see that as a hurdle. And because we're looking at it as a, a health and safety thing, it's something we've chosen to invest and cover that fee for the customers. So it won't cost them anything to use the program. Right. Well, and I really love how Disney, from the time you go on their website, Disney's always talking, looking at and and talking about their customer experience and how they interact with their customers. From the very first time you go on, you know, disneyworld.com and you start planning your, where you, you know, your fast passes are going to be, where you're going to stay, where you want to eat, you start planning all that, that they look at that as part of the guest experience that planning process. And then, you know, a few weeks later, you get your magic bands in the mail and it's an event. It's not like, you know, they're, they're not just shoved in an envelope and here's your, here's your pass. Have fun. Like, like you said, LA County did it. Like there's a little pin with it. There's an experience to it. And then people fly down to Florida and they get on the bus and that's an experience. And on the way in, there's a billboard for Disney and what people, a lot of folks don't realize I've had this gone around and around in this discussion on marketing with people. And they're like, well, billboards are important because that tells people, you know, when our fair is and whatnot. And I've always argued that people are looking at their phones when they're driving, but when they're on that Disney bus and they're coming in from the airport in Orlando, that's where a lot of those billboards are. It's literally about filling that 25 minute drive in with little touches of guest experience and I think the fairs that do that, that look at everything is what is our guest experience? How are they receiving us at every point? I think those fairs win in the long term. I think they win big time. So I'm glad you brought that up because Western Fairs Association is doing something really cool this year. Uh, it's a convention plus four. And so they're mm-hmm. in addition to having your convention registration, they've got these extra educational opportunities that are going to happen over the next several months. And I just happened to be presenting one of them on uh, mapping the customer journey. And it's exactly, as you said, it's starting at the website from the first time they interact with your brand all the way to their parking lot, how they get in for parking, how they're uh, met by the ticket taker who's greeting them. We did a great program last year. We called it the D-Greeter program. And each of the staff and the board took shifts uh, in the evenings at the uh, gates and just thanking people for their visit and to watch people go from tired to exuberant was phenomenal. Yeah. The guest experience, you know, we can talk about who's got the coolest ride or, you know, whether Tammy's super science is the best thing on the fairgrounds or the sea lions or the pig races, or we can talk all about that. Who's got the best food, but it's a, it's a complete picture of a guest experience. And like you said, for almost all of these people, at some point, it starts at the website or the Facebook page. 
what is every contact with that guest? And we got to look at lifetime contacts in our industry because so much of what we're doing, and, and again, when I've spoken uh, on marketing before, I've had people come up to me afterwards and say, you know, we really don't focus too much on on teenagers, all that. Yeah, we, we have some stuff, but it's the parents that have the money, so we focus on the parents. And I say, hmm, doesn't take a 16-year-old very long to grow up and be 27 with a family of their own. You want to make sure you include everybody on that, that every touch of that guest, the, every guest contact is a positive one that forwards your brand message. We did a Snapchat filter last year and it cost us maybe 250 bucks and got us 48,000 impressions in exactly that demographic. It but cost you, it cost you 250 and you got how many impressions on it? 48,000. Yeah. So the price that's, and again, here I talk about striking while the iron's hot. I'll give you this. I spent a hundred dollars four, three years ago, three or four years ago, right as they were really hot. I spent a hundred dollars to put one over the OC fair for a night and got 102,000 impressions. Wow. For a hundred dollars. So you yeah. can see where the price is, that price of that real estate has gone up because we, you got to strike while it's hot. The price of Facebook ads is probably double now the cost per thousand, what it was when I started talking about it just two, you know, a couple, two, three years ago, I, I still think it's the best ad product available for us. Do you guys use Facebook ads or you utilize for your so marketing? We actually hire noise new media out of Nashville and yep. they, they handle our Facebook marketing for us. Um, and they do a phenomenal job. I mean, we brought them on after we had gone on sale with Darcy Lynn last year, but before Nelly and that Nelly concert was our fastest selling concert ever. The, uh, you know, so sad we didn't get to go through with it. Yeah, it's <laughs> funny. But uh, in the first half hour, all of our VIP sold out. And in the first day of the pre-sale, all of our preferred seating sold out. So it was just the, the nosebleeds left after one day of pre-sale. It was incredible. Yeah, well, and you got a fantastic artist there with Nelly is very, very popular. And I think your your guys that you hired at Noise New Media, I've sat in on some of their talks before at our conventions, whether it be WFA or Florida Fairs or IFE. And they were one of the first first marketing um, talks that I sat in on where I looked and I said, these guys get it. Yeah. They understand where the market's going. They've got the Wayne Gretzky approach. They're going to skate to where the puck is going, not the where, where the puck is. So I think you guys are in really good hands with that. Um, you know, I guess we kind of naturally got off the subject of COVID and I'm kind of glad because I, I was interviewing John Sykes uh, yesterday from East Texas State Fair, and, and yeah. we got, I don't know, halfway or so through, three quarters of the way through the podcast, and he goes, you know, I'm just going to tell you, I'm tired of talking about COVID, not just, not with you necessarily, just, that's all we hear, TV, COVID, COVID, if it's not COVID, it's some other drama, um, you know, on television, and and frankly, I get, I get sick of it. Um, John said, I want happy talk, so have you gotten to the point where you've turned the news off, where you've shut off all the drama? Not at all. You're still I, watching it? Do you you I consume it a lot? Uh, well, actually, I think my girlfriend's more plugged into it than I am. And she'll ask me, did you hear about this? <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> I'm like, uh, not yet. But, um, you know, particularly right now, watching uh, for these new shuttered venue operator grants, uh, just checking every few hours to see if there's an update because we want to be in those first 15 days. Um, right. As it turns out, uh, the time we're recording this, it's going to be tomorrow they're doing a... Um, uh, webinar from the Small Business Administration to discuss eligibility and things like that. And 
there are some nuanced elements to it, but I, I firmly believe that most fares will be eligible. And it's 45% of your lost potential revenue from last year. So that's significant. It, it's not, uh, you know, we didn't incur the cost of having a fare per se. Right. So to get that revenue uh, would be incredible. Uh, it would be life-saving for us. Well, you know, between uh, COVID and the election and the pandemic, unemployment uh, assistance, the PPP and all these different things that went on, it just felt like you couldn't, it was really difficult to get straight answers last year. I'll tell you what, right before we, we came on the air to record this, I got an email from the SBA um, that said I was not approved for my uh, idle loan that I applied for back in May. Oh, wow. <laughs> Which it didn't, I mean, it doesn't matter since then. I mean, we managed to ended up with a little bit of funding through the Paycheck Protection Program and whatnot, but I'm just like, really? It took, we're 300 days into 15 days to flatten the curve and you're just getting around to saying, oh yeah, by the way, um, luckily I was not, my business didn't hinge on whether or not I got that funding. I can't imagine for some of these people who did, if they're only finding out now and they like, some of these people are going to get approved and they're going to be like, I already filed paperwork to go out of business. Right. You know, it just, it's, it's a mess. Um, you know, I feel like there's just so much noise in the media, um, of all these different issues that our country's facing. I think it's why I bury myself in the podcast in producing that content now. So I don't have to watch all that nonsense on TV. That's my relief. What, um, what have you been doing to kind of get relief from all of the, the trauma of the last year? Well, first I, I filter the news that I do receive. I actually go to uh, bbc.com. Okay. Um, and, and cause I figure if there's something important enough that the Brits are reporting on it, then I should probably look into it some more over here. <laughs> Maybe a good go strategy. A, then I go to a couple different news sources to try to balance out what really happened. Um, but, but yeah, it definitely filters a lot of uh, the negativity and the, the hype and drama that you get from uh, national news sources uh, here. Um, so that, that's my trick is go to bbc.com. And if it's something really important in the U.S., you can read about it there. And usually they're a little more dismissive and less... Uh, uh, I don't know, going on tirades of things. Less reactive. Yeah, less reactive to that because they're they're going through Brexit. You know, they've got their own issue. <laughs> right. So if it's big enough that it makes it over there, then that's maybe that. That's an interesting way to filter news instead of just going to Fox or CNN or MSNBC or you know that. I don't even know if there's, and I have a degree in journalism and television production. I don't even know that there are true journalists like Walter Cronkite style journalists on TV anymore. They're all commentators, you know, yeah. there's it, no, and that's the news. Yeah. And that I think is what has really, it really damaged um, the media so much over the years is that you don't have people just genuinely giving the news you know, whether it's Sean Hannity or Rachel Maddow or any of these people, they're all talking head commentators and their job is to give opinion. So yes, Rachel Maddow is going to skew to the left and Hannity's going to skew to the right, but that doesn't make that news. That makes that opinion. And I think we all have, I think we've gotten trained over the years, trained ourselves that to not know the difference between news and opinion. Yeah. 
So, well, let's talk about good stuff in 2020. There's got to be some silver linings. I saw a post you made on Facebook um, back in December. I think it was before, right before Christmas. And in it, you said, we started camping, we adopted Lily and had that one trip to Tahoe. Tell us about your good stuff in 2020. What'd you do? Yeah, we adopted a quarantine puppy. Uh, We actually picked her up the day before lockdown. Um, so she is spoiled rotten. She doesn't know what it's like for us to both be gone at the office. Uh, my girlfriend's still working from home full time. Um, so when I go off to the office, it's the end of the world for the poor dog, but, uh, you know, um, she, she's just spoiled and we'll have to work that out as we get closer to going back to the office. Um, but it's, you know, having two dogs now, I can't be more than grateful for that because otherwise there would be days where I wouldn't go outside probably. Right. And just forcing us to go outside, you know, take them to the restroom or to go on walks. Um, you know, it really forces us to get out of just doing our own thing. And I, I think a lot of people have, have maybe just been existing through this time because we want it to be over and done with. And totally routine helps time pass. Um, but, uh, you know, you don't get to choose when they want to use the bathroom. So <laughs> if it's the middle of the night, it's the middle of the night. Right. That's the great thing about dogs is they, you know, you can kind of get them on a schedule. How old's the pup? Uh, She's just about a year now. Okay. Well, you'll get her, get Lily will get onto a schedule here pretty quick and you'll be sleeping through the night, (laughs) night again. I, um, I, I, you know, I, most of my travels are connected to, uh, to work. And so this year, I think the thing's been really difficult for me is not traveling. I cannot tell you how desperately I want to get in my truck and just drive across the country. Like literally right now, as soon as the podcast's over, I want to get in the truck, get Nate, get the dogs, get Sarah, and just be like, where are we going? Ohio, North Carolina, Washington. I don't care. Let's just point somewhere and go because so much of my life is on the road. So mm-hmm. it's definitely been a challenge this year. And I, I agree. I think a lot of people, myself included for a lot of last year, we're existing through it instead of figuring out a way to live through it. And I've said it a lot on the podcast, doing this podcast kind of helped give me a purpose again and feel like um, I've got something to do, something that's giving value to other people. And I mean, hell, we're going to turn this thing into a book too. So I'm going to be a, a, an author before the end of the year. So I'll, I'll take that. I guess, uh, you know, it, if there's one thing I learned about myself in, in 2020, it was that I need to develop more resiliency. I need to be, to be able to bounce back quicker instead of letting myself get into, you know, dark places where like you, as you said, you know, you're just existing. I don't like just existing. I want to live. Did you learn anything about yourself in 2020? So growing up, uh, the son of a fair manager, you always think, oh, yeah, I could probably do that job. <laughs> but you never really know, you know, until you find yourself in that role. Um, and it's been really encouraging to see all those life experiences come together. Uh, you know, even things outside the fair industry, experience and leadership in the military and taking care of people, you know, you thought you'd never have to, to be in that situation where you're working remotely and managing a team uh, that's not going to be there physically with you. And fortunately, I've been using Zoom uh, for the past five years, or not Zoom exactly, but Skype and Zoom. Um, So I've been familiar with the programs. And when it came time to manage a team remotely, that was 
second nature to me. Uh, worked out well. We had a member of our staff who went on maternity leave. Um, so she's been able to, instead of just quit from us, uh, she's working part-time from home and doing an excellent job. Um, so Great. being able to manage a staff remotely, uh, just these weird quirky things. Uh, I was working in a call center in Australia and taught myself web design, basic web design. And so I run our website, you know, and that's how I kind of got my job at uh, Western Fairs Association. So it's, if you just pick up skills along the way, they all end up being useful at some point in your life. Yeah, I think I saw someone post something on, it was Instagram or Facebook, probably both, something to the effect of, if you get through this entire pandemic and you're the same person you were when you started, you failed. I wouldn't want to put anything on anyone to say that they failed. Um, <laughs> this is a very emotionally trying time and everybody's sure. experiencing it differently. Sure. Uh, I, I'm fortunate having been through the military, I'm used to sitting around and doing nothing for extended periods of time <laughs> <laughs> with no knowledge of when I get to do something again. Right. Uh, and then, you know, when that time comes that it's life or death. Yeah. Um, so uh, definitely um, grateful for, you know, sad to say the traumas in my life that have uh, led to the ability to take this as like, okay, so this is how things are now, instead of going, oh my gosh, everything's different. Everything's changed. Life is altered uh, irreparably, but to just go, all right, well, now it's Tuesday. So now it's Wednesday and keep going. Right. I think for me, I'm a big believer that the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And if you look back in history, if you look at the pandemic in 1918, that gave way to the roaring 20s. It gave way. I mean, life goes on. Like we we are a resilient species and it, it, it could be tough for, you know, 18 to 36 months while we're finding our way through this. And then we come out and I've said it over and over and I will continue to say it when this is all said and done, when the masks come off and we don't have to be physically distant any longer, the fair industry will see the dawning of a new age of success and, and, and value in their communities. Absolutely. You know, that's why we want to keep planning for a 2021 fair, because as soon as we're allowed to have a party, we want to do it because yep. everyone has this pent up desire to get together and to go out and be where people are. Uh, and we, that's where we thrive. That's the experience that we deliver. So very much looking forward to the earliest opportunity, uh, throwing that big party and inviting everyone to it. Amen to that. I tell you what, you know, I, as an entertainer, a lot of us, we talk at different fairs and on Facebook groups and, you know, at conventions. And there's people that a lot of times you'll hear complaints and the complaints when you look at them are really silly. Oh, the fair put me on this stage. It's way out of the way and nobody comes to the show. Well, maybe that's the best place the fair had, you know, but in the end, it's like we we make a living making fun. This isn't this isn't rocket science. You know, you were in the military. What did you do in the military? Uh, several things. I started off in psychological operations and then transferred over to chem biodefense where I ran a biodefense platoon. Yeah. Um, and then I was deployed as tactical satellite communications. Yeah. So you, the stuff you're dealing with and you all in the military deal with is life and death. You know, I mean, that's big time stuff. The stuff our first responders, our doctors and nurses and EMTs and whatnot are dealing with right now with COVID. That's big stuff. We make fun for a living. We get to make people smile for a living. Uh, I don't think I could do any other job with my life. This is what I love and adore to do. It's not life and death stuff. So I just feel like we we all need to be still 
and just kind of look around and observe and see what's going on and be ready. Like you said, be prepared. We've been told for a year now, we're not essential that we don't matter, but we all know deep down, we matter very deeply. And when it's our turn, we're going to show the world just how much we matter. Absolutely. So listen, we're about out of time before we go. Everyone on the show goes through a little speed round of questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions. You give me your best answer. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Question number one, favorite thing to do in your spare time. Uh, play league of legends. League of legends. <laughs> hey, I'm giving you the quick, honest answer. Perfect. I got, you know, my son got me stuck on among us. Have you, have you tried that game yet? It's no, like a murder. I, it's I, like I, well, actually, yeah, I, I tried it a few times, but everybody just voted me out anyways. Yeah, that's what you never, like, never report a body sketch, <laughs> right? Never report a body on a public lobby because as soon as you do, you're getting thrown out no matter what <laughs> What's your... people swearing up and down. They saw me kill somebody. I'm like, I, I can't kill somebody. Right. <laughs> oh yeah. I've been on games where like literally 10 seconds in somebody hits the button and calls a meeting and says, uh, blue sus. And I'm like, why? And before <laughs> anybody asks questions, they just all vote me out. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about the fair? Uh, seeing people enjoy it. If you weren't a fair manager now, what would you be doing for a living? Probably sales. Boots or sneakers? Boots. Last book you read? Oh, uh, How to Put on a Wildly Successful Fair by Judy Carrico. There you go. Judy's book. Excellent. And last question. Who is your first celebrity crush? Tell the truth. Jessica Alba. Uh, I can't blame you on that one. <laughs> can't blame you there. Chris, I really appreciate you being on the show today. If listeners want to get a hold of you, where can they find you? Uh, so you can find me. Uh, my email is chris at nwwafair.com. I'm on Facebook as well, Chris Pickering, um, the guy with the blue background. Uh, if you're trying to pick amongst all the Chris Pickerings out there, uh, my military email address was c.pickering1 because there are apparently so many Chris Pickerings in the Army because it's usually this first dot last. It's crazy. Um, <laughs> But yeah, and visit our website, nwwafair.com. Two W's, and we're not the NWA Fair. Um, but uh, so we, we've got a lot of fun stuff going on. Uh, really excited for all of the elements we're bringing into this 2021 fair. Uh, it really is going to be tremendous and uh, looking forward to it being an excellent success. He's the CEO of the Northwest Washington Fair, Chris Pickering. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, Robert. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.